Warning. Censorship. Warning. Censorship. Warning. Censorship. Hi, everybody. Ezra Levant here. How you doing? 12 noon Eastern time. Every day at this time, we do a live stream. What a pleasure to be back with you. I do it Monday, Wednesday, Friday. My colleagues do it Tuesday and Thursday. We cover the news of the day. We started this when the lockdowns came and the pandemic came because there was so much to talk about. And we just kept doing it. We also have shows every night at 8 p.m. Eastern time. I do a daily show called The Ezra Levant Show. And every week, my friends David Menzies, Andrew Chapados, and Sheila Gunn-Reed do a weekly show, too. But these noontime shows are sort of easy-peasy, unscripted, often just treatments of casual videos we see on social media, Twitter, whatever. And uh, we do have the feedback from you, our viewers. We're broadcasting simultaneously on four different platforms. YouTube.com, which we used to only be on, but they've demonetized us, suspended us, so we're worried they're going to cancel us totally. We're still on there, even though there's no Super Chat functionality, because we have a million and a half viewers. But we're also on Rumble.com, Odyssey.com, and SuperU.net. So... Um, Hello to all of you following us on those different platforms, too. Um, I think that uh, there's two stories I want to cover today. The story of our age is how it went from social distancing to masking to forced vaccines. And by forced vaccines, I mean what's called vaccine passports, vaccine proof, proof of vaccination. It all has different names, but it's asking healthy people private medical questions about whether or not they've taken these vaccines, none of which are approved by the FDA. There is no vaccine that has yet been approved by the FDA, none. There's a bunch of vaccines that are being studied that are undergoing testing. Um, you could call them experiments. And I hope those experiments succeed, by the way. But on an emergency basis only, the FDA has authorize the use of these unapproved meds. So they're not approved. Um, imagine saying to a perfectly healthy person, you can't come in this restaurant, you can't come in this airline, you can't come to this university, you can't live in this apartment, unless you prove that you've taken an, um, a medicine that has not yet been approved by the, by the FDA. And for a disease that, depending on your age and other demographic information, poses next to no threat to you. As I pointed out the other day, in all of 2021, zero people in the province of Alberta under the age of 20 have died from the virus. Zero. In all of Ontario, about 15 million people. There's 3 million people under the age of 20. Since the pandemic started, a grand total of three people have passed away in that age group. So about one, sorry, four people. So three million people under age 20, four passed away. Literally a one in a million risk. And you're going to say to people, healthy people, you can't go to school, get a job, go to a restaurant, go to a theater, travel, unless you take an experimental med for a disease that has a one in a million death rate for kids. Are you crazy? No, because it's not about health, it's about control. Um, the United Kingdom has been terrible because their prime minister is like a weather vane flopping in the wind. 
absolutely inconstant. I um I used to like Boris Johnson when he was an a columnist for various newspapers and magazines because he's so funny and he's charming and he has a way with words. And like like a lot of hucksters. And, um, you know, I've, I've learned a little bit about who he is. And, I mean, w one thing about him is he's an extreme philanderer. And I think that goes with him just saying anything to anyone at any time. Um, and why is that relevant? Why am I bringing up his personal life? Because I think it goes to his nature, which is in the minute he really believes something. So if he's saying to this mistress, I love you, he probably means it in that minute. And if he's promising to be loyal to that woman, he probably meant it for the minute he said it. So when he says we're not going to have vaccine passports, which he said, he did mean it, probably, because like a seat cushion, he retained the impression of whoever last sat on him, whoever last whispered in his ear. And so he flip-flopped on Vax passports, and they took a hard line against giving this experimental vaccine to children. And of course, he probably meant it when he said it, but they flip-flopped on that, too. I think it's demoralizing when the state gaslights you like that, when they promise they'll never do something and they change it. And I think that might actually be, you know, just an unintended consequence of having liars or people of poor character in high office. But it, it could also possibly be a strategy of the government to so demoralize the people to get them used to not being represented, to get them used to just obeying as subjects as opposed to being citizens where you feel like you have some sort of a bond or promise when someone says, I will not bring in vax passports, I will not um, use these experimental meds on kids. And then they break that promise, like Boris Johnson swapping one mistress for the next. It teaches you your place. Um, you're just a mistress. You're not, you have no... You have no standing, you have no authority, you have no permanence, you're not important. Uh, he'll try and charm you for, for a day, but that's it. So um, Isabel Oakshot, who's just one of the, there's some great commentators in the UK. Neil Oliver is uh, by far my favorite. He's with GB News. Um, every week he does a wonderful monologue. But Isabel Oakshot had this to say about vaccinated kids. Let's take a look. Wondering what has actually changed about the risks to children? since the Joint Committee on Immunizations and Vaccinations made their decision two weeks ago. And the answer is nothing has changed, of course. It's the politics that have changed and they've come under huge pressure from the politicians to recommend routine vaccination. And I'm just wondering, what is the point of a so-called independent panel of medical experts if they change their mind like this under political pressure? That's basically just discrediting themselves. And my other thought on this is that this government just routinely tells us one thing one week by way of reassurance. Oh, we're going to follow the advice of the experts. We're not going to recommend vaccinating children. And then they'll change their view. And I just think it's such an insult to voters. And it really is undermining the trust 
in politicians, which is a wider problem. It's not a party political point. I'm not a member of any political party. I never have been. I'm a political journalist. I say it as I see it. But what I observe from this government is lies and lies and lies. They tell us one thing and then they do another. And it's not a word to use lightly, but it is, as I see it, what is happening here. And I just think it is so wrong. And, you know, we all appreciate these are really difficult decisions. I don't envy politicians in this position. There are some really finely balanced judgments to make. So just level with people, just level with people. Tell them these are the facts, these are the risks, these are the benefits. Now it's up to you to make a judgment as you see fit, particularly for parents. Make the right judgment for your children. We're not going to bully you. We're not going to coerce you. We're not going to give That's you That's just any... a little shot. I, um, I, I think the lying and the flip-flopping is a personality expression of Boris Johnson. But I think the, its cumulative effect, the demoralization of people, is to destroy their expectations of a government that represents them, that's accountable to them. And I think it's um, slipping away to authoritarianism. The worst in the world, of course, is in Australia. I want to show you three. This is a little montage put together by um, a great Australian video journalist named Rukshan. I forget his last name. He's uh, sort of uh, casual friends with our, our buddy Avi Yamini down there. And he's been hassled by police, not as badly as Avi has been. Uh, Rukshan is his name, really good. And so he just put these three public health tyrants together. They're all middle-aged, drab women, public health bureaucrats. And is it a coincidence that so many public health tyrants are, are women? I don't know if it's a coincidence, but it's an observation on my part. And I think that the feminine form of fascism is probably different than the masculine form. I think the masculine form of fascism is police physically attacking lockdown protesters, physically attacking people without masks. That's the masculine expression of fascism. It's physical, it's violent. It doesn't try to explain things. Um, it's irrational. The violence is the, is the ratio. The violence is the argument. Feminine fascism and public health fascism is sort of nanny state-ism. Uh, it feels superstitious and old wives tale-y. I know that these three public health officers I'm about to show you have credentials, um, but what they're, so, what they're saying here, don't talk to people, don't order things online. Don't, there's, there's someone talking about don't touch a soccer ball. What? You just made that up. You, you just made that up and you're insisting everyone call you doctor, and you're saying it's the science, but you, you just made that up. And you're different than the masculine fascists who come with their truncheons, but you're a feminine fascist who is trying to mother people who are not your own children. Um, you wanna give advice to your own patient, go ahead, but I'm not your patient. You wanna tell your own children, don't touch a soccer ball or football, okay, you're a weird mum, but I'm not your minor child. 
you're telling me not to talk to people and not be friendly. You just made that up because you're just sort of daydreaming and, and trying to, you know, be chatty. Take a look at these three feminine fascists. Think about whether you need to do online shopping this week. Do you need those people out in the community delivering packages and things? Maybe just leave them for a week. And click and collect. Do you really need that furniture that I know you can go and click and collect, which is safer, absolutely, than going um, into the store? We're looking at the seating at the moment and of course we're looking at the ball because sometimes the ball, as not that I've been to many football games, I have noticed occasionally it does get kicked into the crowd and uh, we are uh, working through the details of what that will mean. If you are at um, Adelaide Oval and the ball comes towards you, my um, advice to you is to duck and just do not touch that ball. We leave our house that anyone with us, anyone we come into contact with could convey the virus. So whilst it is in human nature to engage in conversation with others, to be friendly, um, unfortunately, this is not the time to do that. So even if you run into your next door neighbour in the shopping centre, in the Coles, whilst you're at Coles Woolworths or Aldi or any other um, grocery shop, don't start up a conversation. That's uh, Rakshan's editing there. Looks like he's got another video about masks. So um, I'm, I'm a bit of an amateur when it comes to Australia. I've only visited once. I like my visit there. It's so very far away. It's not a place you can just hop on a plane and be there overnight. It's, it really is a 24-hour journey from uh, where I am. Um, so I try and understand it through our daily uh, video call with Avi Yamini. Avi is based in Melbourne, which I think is a 10-hour time zone difference from us. So we, we call him every day at 5 p.m. Eastern, which I think is 7 a.m. the next day in Melbourne. So he's in his PJs and he takes the video call in his PJs and it's pretty funny. Uh, but we talk to him every single day because he's an integral part of our team and we want him to know that and vice versa. Uh, so we learn a little bit about Australia through him and through his videos. And we, we have um, other Australians on our team now too. We have um, Alexandra uh, Marshall, who writes um, written pieces for us down under. And we are actively recruiting uh, an on-camera journalist in Sydney, uh, the, the major city in um, New South Wales. So those three uh, middle-aged uh, women you saw there, who looked like they could be sisters almost. Uh, one was from Queensland, one was from uh, South Australia, one was New South Wales. Did you, one of them said, don't order it, don't go out of your house, but also don't order anything to your house. Really? So just sort of stay at home and have no deliveries. No, so don't go out, but don't just, I think she made that up because there's no science there. I, did she feel the need just to fill the, fill the dead air? Like she just felt the need to kibitz? Like she's just gossiping with the gals or something? The one from South Australia, I've never been to a football match, that's what they call soccer there, but I understand sometimes the ball gets kicked into the crowd, don't touch it. Yeah, um, I don't think you ever have been to a football match, and I don't think there's any science there. I think you're like a mum 
saying to a child, don't touch that football, it's not yours. Or you, and then you just said it, and now you have to think it. Like that, there's no science there. That's an appeal to authority, which is what mums do. Um, mums and dads, but I think mums are more don't touch that, don't, don't, don't. Mums are, uh, dads maybe, and I'm speaking stereotypically, it's not true in every case, but I think dads typically encourage risk-taking and moms uh, typically resist risk-taking. And um, John Stossel had a wonderful video about this about a decade ago about why do women live longer than men? And one of the answers, I know it sounds trite, is because women uh, don't take stupid risks in life. Uh, they also don't work in such dangerous and risky professions. Um, there's a lot of reasons why women live longer than men. One of the reasons is that I think there's a, a protective nature in women that says don't do stupid things. Um, men, I think, are more risk-oriented, uh, adventurous. I think, I think there's some reasons why um, most extreme sports are men, the first astronauts are men. And saying the patriarchy, I don't think, answers it. I think there's a certain risk orientation. And it's that yin and yang that makes uh, parenting such an adventure because, you know, mom and dad have different points of view on things. I know that from my own life. But what you saw there was the unvarnished femininity of public health fascism. That you have a bunch of mums who look like their kids are sort of grown up a bit, so they miss saying, don't touch that. Wash your hands. Oh, did, don't, don't do that. Oh, you know, what? don't eat that off the floor. You drop that. Don't eat, like mums whose maternal instinct is to protect. Um, and that's wonderful when it's their own children they're protecting or when they're, frankly, putting, stepping on the brake pedal when, when the husband steps on the gas pedal. You give that same maternal instinct, you apply it to the entire world who are not your children. In fact, who are not children at all, who are grown-ups. Oh, that fell on the ground. Don't eat that. Yeah, it, it could be good advice. But I'm my own human, my own citizen. You're not my mom. And I choose to disagree with you. Well, you can't anymore because I'm not just an overprotective mom and a worrywart and a scold. But now I have the power of the state behind me. And if you don't like my soft fascism, my feminine fascism, let me introduce you to the police side of the equation, which is mainly men. And they'll club you over the head with a baton if you don't get it. They'll pepper spray you, maybe. Um, and we've seen that. So we've seen both sides of the fascism in Australia. Uh, our own reporter, Avi Yamini, has been arrested many times. Um, could you imagine that one woman from New South Wales? Don't be friendly. Don't start a conversation with your neighbor. Is there any science there? Or are you just, you're making this up? Do you believe those chatty Cathy's follow that rule themselves? I don't think, I don't think you could get a word in edgewise. Imagine going out for lunch with those ladies. There'd be a lot of white wine. Um, and at first they'd be all very prissy. And then three bottles in, they'd be hitting on the waiter. You know, um, I mean, I don't think you could get a word in edgewise. Don't be friendly. Don't start up a conversation. 
are you projecting just a teeny tiny bit? Um, it's incredible that these people are now um, are unelected tyrants. Just incredible to me. Just the worst. Um, <laughs> I mean, I, listen, it's not, I, I'm not saying that there's a, a, a universal divide between the feminine and the masculine expressions of public health tyranny. Um, but it is remarkable that I, I go province by province. You got Bonnie Henry in British Columbia, you got Dina Hinshaw in Alberta, you have Teresa Tam at the federal level. Obviously, there are men as well. Here's a man named Francis Collins, who again is just making stuff up, just, just making it up. Take a listen. It's clear that this variant is capable of causing serious illness in children. Uh, you have heard those stories coming out of Louisiana pediatric ICUs where there are kids as young as a few months old who are sick from this. That is rare. Certainly younger people are less likely to fall ill. But anybody who tries to tell you, ah, oh, you don't have to worry about it if you're a young, healthy person, there's many counterexamples all around us now. Well, so, yeah, you do need to think about it. And that's the reason why the recommendations are uh, for kids under 12, uh, that they avoid being in places where they might get infected, which means recommendations of mask wearing in schools and that at home, uh, parents of unvaccinated kids should be thoughtful about this. And the recommendation is to wear masks there as well. Let me just follow up. I on know that, that's though. uncomfortable. I know it seems weird, but it is the best way to protect your kids. But I just, again, want to fully understand. He made that up. He made that up. There is not a single scientific study that shows that if you are living in the same home as your children, you should wear a mask at home. That's if everyone's healthy. Like, I, I would dispute even if someone had the Rona. But he just made that up. Um, could you imagine the, the mental stress, the alienation if you have children and their parents put on protective gear to approach them? I, he looks like he's around 65, 70, so I don't think he's had children in the house for a long time. So maybe he's forgotten what it's like to be a loving parent uh, to smile at your children, to greet them, to listen to them, to talk to them, maybe make silly jokes or funny faces at them. Imagine if you treat your child like a source of danger or like a risky person that you put on a frickin' hazmat suit to approach them. That is not only fake advice, it is dangerous advice. And yet that guy is a boss. He's a boss, a public health boss, and a public health propagandist. And I think he'd fit in just perfect with those three Australian ladies who lunch. Um, and you know he's serious. You know he's not just trying to be a Bill Nye, the science guy, to get rich. Because like all serious doctors do, he writes a song um, which really captures the nuances of the, of the science. Here he is uh, singing. Sorry about this. That's gone too, it's a family show. Heck, poof, coronavirus came from overseas. 
infecting folks across the land. Seattle, NYC, poof, coronavirus called COVID-19 quickly spread like a wildfire. Now we're in quarantine. Now no one can travel or even leave their homes. Schools are closed, all kids must know. Avoid the danger zones. We all must do our part to protect the ones we love. So if you meet at least six feet and handle doors with gloves, oh, poop, coronavirus came from overseas, infecting folks across the land of Seattle, NYC. Poop, coronavirus called COVID-19 quickly spread like wildfire. Now we're in quarantine. We miss our camp fantastic and joining in the fun. The nasty little virus says don't care for anyone. An historic pandemic of its like we've never known. Poof, coronavirus, how quickly it has grown. We will all get through it, but things won't be the same. What will we learn from this dark turn? How will our lives be changed? COVID might be scary, but hope is on the scene. We'll beat coronavirus when we have that vaccine. Oh, poop coronavirus came from overseas, infecting folks across. Yeah, I'm sorry I made you listen to so much of that. Um, he's actually not a terrible singer or guitar player. I mean, I'd say he's pretty amateur, and I certainly wouldn't recommend he performs for anyone other than his family or, let's say, campfires. Um, but would you agree with me that he's having the time of his life? That that man is living his best life? That far from being a dark time, as he says in his song, the coronavirus is the best thing that ever happened to him. What was that channel he was on? Was that CNN? Whatever. CNN, MSNBC. Did anyone even know who... Francis Collins was 18 months ago. He's a pretty mediocre singer-songwriter, better than me. Um, would anyone in the world have listened to that were it not for this? And what's interesting in Alberta right now, Alberta, Canada, which has removed all the vestiges of the lockdown, is now treating the virus as an endemic problem like the flu or anything else. And yeah, take care of yourself, but they're not going to engage in the daily fear porn press conferences and whatnot. Um, the hardest hit uh, with the end of the lockdown are the TV doctors. Every doctor who thought they would be a regular TV star, who would have the love and respect of the whole community because they were the experts who were scaring us and then on the other hand giving us the solution they really had it all they created the fear and then they offered the solution to the fear and you heard it there francis collins is a vaccine salesman um what, what i just find it amazing all these tv doctors are raging against alberta 
You know, doctors, there's a lot of different kinds of doctors. There's a family doctor, typically called a general practitioner. Then there's specialists. And, and some specialties are very intensive and very dangerous even. Like imagine being a brain surgeon. It's a little bit different than being a GP um, or a, a dermatologist. Being an anesthetist, extreme. Like some of these medical specialties are so, you have to be the best because the margin for error when you're doing some of these things is so small um, that it's, it's like, um, it's like that old movie, The Right Stuff, about the American space program. If you're a jet fighter pilot, if you're an astronaut, you need an enormous amount of confidence. And I would say even some arrogance. You don't want your arrogance to go so far that it exceeds your ability. But if you are doing brain surgery, if you're doing things that have to be perfect, you'd better not have self-doubt. You'd, you'd better not be easily scared. And you'd better be a leader, like you're in the surgical suite. You've got this team around you. It's not just the doctor. It's all these uh, nurses. And, and you know you, you have to call for the, like you're You're running a team there. And some of these surgeries can be many hours long. What's my point? Is you actually want your doctor, I think, to be a little bit arrogant. Because you want the best of the best, and the best of the best typically says, I'm the best. I think you want that in your fighter pilots, in your, in your jet pilots. I think you want that in certain, uh, in certain high performance professions. You don't want a man racked with self-doubt, do you? But again, like those ladies who lunch in Australia there, um, who just making stuff up, there come there's a downside to hubris, which is it's fine to be confident. But the great thing about how we relate to doctors on, until 18 months ago is it's a voluntary relationship. You know the phrase "doctors' orders." Well, they're orders, but you don't actually have to follow them. In fact, you've probably heard the phrase, I'd like a second opinion. Because maybe there's another doctor who's arrogant, confident, smart. They're all smart. Who has a different point of view. So we use the phrase doctor's orders. It's what the doctor orders. But, you, but it's actually not, it doesn't have the force of a court order. And we know that even if a doctor is absolutely certain that he's right, that he might not be, which is why we allow second opinions. That's a thing. But what the pandemic has done is it's allowed this natural hubris that I think can be quite positive in a doctor. It's married that to the propaganda of the state, these TV doctors, and the fascism of the state, the police. And I think it's been the worst of all worlds. These TV doctors who were the king of their little kingdom, but it was often a small kingdom. Their patients who would obey them, their surgical staff who would operate with them, but now they can operate on the whole world. And now you can't get a second opinion. You can't get a second opinion on COVID in Canada. Social media won't let you say it. There's no second opinion. There's, there's, not a, there's no opposition party in Canada that's opposed to the lockdowns. Alberta, after eight, nine months of insanity, has returned to sanity. 
and all these bullies are raging. I am sorry that I that I showed you so much of that Puff the Magic Dragon song, which is actually a really good song, sort of hippie song from the 60s or 70s. Um, so absolutely, of course, that's the one that Francis Collins was going to choose because that's what all the hippies, you could just tell what he was like 30 years ago. I'm going to read some comments on... Uh, MVP 9337, YouTube suspended Sky News Australia for misinformation. No one is safe. Yeah, we broke that story. Avi Amini broke that story over the weekend. Um, Sky News Australia is owned by News Corp, or it's affiliated with it, which is affiliated with Fox News Channel in America. Rupert Murdoch, the most powerful media mogul in Australia, one of the most powerful in America, YouTube has no problem suspending them. Why wouldn't they? They suspended Donald Trump, the president of the United States. You think they care about Sky News? On Rumble, H-A-W-M-C, masking kids is child abuse. Well, I really think it is from a psychological point of view. It doesn't, um, you know, kids are at such low risk, zero. There's been zero fatalities of kids under, and kids. I mean, anyone under 20 in Alberta this year. Since the pandemic started, a grand total of four kids in four people under 20 in Ontario have died from the, the virus. What is the social, psychological, developmental, speech, speech pathology, pathology, the depression, the, um, the suicide of masks, especially amongst kids? It's tough enough being a teen. Imagine this. Rumble on the bit. Uh, yeah, we don't need such. Uh, torture sorry i showed so much of that yeah uh rumble daughter of narcissus i'm not a doctor i just play one on tv yeah there's this one guy who calls himself dr eric fagelding and he's always a lockdown extremist he's not an md but he, he's verified and he's got that blue check mark on twitter he calls himself doctor he's not a medical doctor super you anti-liberal what a crazy world bonnie henry getting the order british columbia reward for failures Oh, well, and she had time to write a book. She had a time to write a book about herself and what a great job she's doing in the pandemic. So you, you know it's an emergency. You know, I, I try and write books, and I manage to get one out every year. It is the worst thing in my life, writing a book. It takes so much time, and I complain about it, and I procrastinate, and I just stare at the computer, and I go and get a snack, and I check the Internet, and before you know it, another day passes, and I haven't written a word. Maybe, I, maybe not everyone is like that, but writing a book I find is extremely hard. Uh, and I have my own life. I'm not running an emergency response to a pandemic. Um, if it's such an emergency, do you really have time? You know, when, when you're hired, someone has a full-time job. That means they give you their time. I mean, you're not commanding their time at night, I suppose. But it doesn't sound like much of an emergency if you can crank out a book in the middle of an emergency. Isn't that something you, you wait till afterwards? Like, um, I mean, you can jot down some notes at night, but you actually wrote and published and launched and promoted a book before the crisis is over. Isn't that, don't you wait till it's over and then tell the story? Incredible. Um, New York City, vaccine passports for restaurants and gyms. You know, I, I love New York City. I haven't been there in over a year. It's a very uh, multiracial, multicultural place, a lot of new immigrants. 
it, it's really a fascinating, it's, it's a unique city, as you know. And uh, one of the things I've learned recently is that uh, vaccination rates for new immigrants and for minorities is much lower than for whites, especially wealthy white people. So um, in New York, you have a bit of everything. You've got millionaires, you've got billionaires, you've got some of the finest hospitals in the world. New York probably has, you know, pound for pound, the, the finest hospitals in the world. There's so many teaching universities there. So if you were to say, you can't come in here unless you're vaccinated, a Marxist applying a racial critique would say, okay, so that's, you're saying white people only or white people mainly because, and another person would say, well, where are you going to eat, you know, at these restaurants, where are you going to get your cooks and your dishwashers and your busboys? Because again, I'm just speaking from observation, uh, those low income, you know, first rung on the ladder jobs in New York, they're often taken by minorities and new immigrants new immigrants of any race. You know, what's a job you take when you don't have good English skills and maybe you don't have a formal education? Anyone can wash a dish. Uh, you know, maybe you can cook. So how are you going to run a restaurant with vaccine passports if 50% of your staff aren't vaxxed? And by the way, it's the minorities. Anyway, here's a little clip on that. Take a look. More performances. So examples right there. Dining, fitness, performances where you see leaders in the private sector already saying clearly, vaccination's the answer, we need these strong, clear mandates. And we've proven that even with outdoor entertainment, it makes sense. Our homecoming concerts are gonna be amazing, but if you wanna to go to one of them, you have to be vaccinated. That's a requirement. Climbing this ladder is giving us more and more ability to fight back the Delta variant. By fighting the Delta variant, we will continue our recovery and we will ultimately beat COVID. So today I announce a new approach, which we're calling the Key to NYC Pass. The Key to New York City. When you hear those words, I want you to imagine the notion that because someone's vaccinated, they can do all the amazing things that are available in this city. This is a miraculous place, full, literally full of wonders. And if you're vaccinated, all that's gonna open up to you. You'll have the key you can open the door. But if you're unvaccinated, unfortunately, you will not be able to participate in many things. That's the point we're trying to get across. It's time for people to see vaccination as literally necessary to living a good and full and healthy life. The key to NYC pass will be a first in the nation approach. It will require vaccination for workers and customers in indoor dining, in indoor fitness facilities, indoor entertainment facilities. This is going to be a requirement. The only way to patronize these establishments indoors will be if you're vaccinated, at least one dose. The same for folks in terms of work. They'll need at least one dose. This is crucial because we know that this will encourage a lot more vaccination. We've seen it already. We've seen the impact of the mandate we've been put in place for city workers already starting to move people to vaccination. We've obviously seen the positive impact of incentives. That's actually an incredible thing he said. Um, I mean, he was explicit there to go to a restaurant. And um, I think New York probably has more restaurants than any city in North America. Partly because of 
what I mentioned before is, you know, every different nationality is there. I mean, it's part of the New York experience is, is restaurants, partly because, especially in Manhattan, uh, real estate is so expensive that people don't have a lot of space. There's a lot of single people there. So they, they go out to eat. It's one of the, it's one of the fun parts of New York. Um, that's being replaced by DoorDash and Skip the Dishes and other delivery services, but that's not a human way to live. You know, I broke bread with him. That's a way of saying we, we ate together. It's how we bond with people. Um, think about it. Every life cycle event, whether it's a wedding feast or a funeral wake um, or a bar mitzvah or a, like just every cycle of life event, there's food there. Uh, you know, wedding, baby shower, whatever. It's always food because it's what brings people together. It's part of human nature. Um, to eat together. And, he, and he's saying, you cannot do that unless you get a vaccine. And not just that, you can't even be a servant there. Now, what, what's interesting is that Bill de Blasio, he's a Marxist, um, he's sort of a sanctuary cities, illegal immigrants, pro-open pro borders guy. Imagine trying to enforce on your staff proof of a vaccine. So that would be some document, some sort of receipt or something. So you can be an illegal immigrant and work in Bill de Blasio's New York. You don't have to show ID. You don't have to be legal. You can just do it. But you've got to show your vaccine passport, do you think that's going to work? Is he going to be sending immigration or maybe he's going to have vaccine? Like there's, there are INS, Immigration and National Service, there are various American police forces dedicated to enforcing immigration law. Is he going to get, who, who's going to enforce this? There are thousands of restaurants in New York. I don't know, maybe there are tens of thousands. Like isn't it the best, I mean, there are a lot of them being devastated from the last year and a half. Are you, who's going to check? Are, are health inspectors going to check? Are NYPD cops? Hey guys, I know there's some murders and drug deals and shootings and assaults and all those things going on. Can you just take a few cops off those beats and start checking the dish? I hear there's a dishwasher at that local, um, you know, Mexican restaurant. I hear there's a dishwasher there who uh, isn't vaxxed. Can you send in the, the SWAT team to, to check? Like, are you seriously going to enforce that? He said you have to be vaxxed. But what if you have natural immunity? A lot of Americans have had the virus and have recovered. So that's a natural form of immunity. In fact, it's the most efficacious form of immunity. Sounds like that doesn't apply. What if you have a medical reason you can't take the vaccine? What if you have an allergy to the vaccines and there have been some terrible allergies? You're just banned from the city? What if you have a conscientious reason or a religious reason that you can't? You're just suddenly banned in New York. You were born in New York. You're raised in New York. You have a family in New York. Your roots are in New York. You built a life in New York, maybe built a business, 
and suddenly this Marxist says, you cannot live in the city in any meaningful way. You can't go to a restaurant, you can't go to a gym, you can't go to an event indoors, and I think he even hinted about outdoors. In fact, he talked about a particular outdoor concert at Central Park. You can't do that unless you get a shot, even if you have a medical reason, a conscientious reason, a religious reason, um, you have a natural immunity, and to hell with your privacy, you know, now have to show any old bouncer, any bouncer, at any club, any doorman, I, th I think I jotted down his words. Literally necessary uh, to enjoy a good life. I, th I think he said those words. I jotted it down sort of quickly. I'm not going to make you play it again. He said it's, ne it's, he said it's necessary to enjoy a good life. So without um, any law, without any debate, without any vote, the mayor of New York just said, he just said it. Like he's, a, like he's a king, like he's an emperor. He just said, you're banned from everything in the city unless you buy a vaccine from these uh, experimental vaccines made by Pfizer, Moderna, whatever, none of which have been yet approved by the FDA. Whether or not you have natural immunity, whether or not you have a conscientious medical religious exemption, I am the king and I'm just telling 8 million people what they must do regardless of what their doctor says, um, to hell with privacy. It's, it's just incredible to me. And it's doubly incredible, given that um, he's not for ID of any other sort. Not for voting, certainly, not for working. It's incredible. On Rumble, on the bit, says, wow, I'd be moving out of New York. Well, imagine that. I mean, New York is such a singular city. It's such a unique city, a wonderful city. You would probably put up with quite a bit before you felt the need to move, wouldn't you? But they're basically, but, and by the way, how does that apply to children? Because not even the kookiest Americans yet say that children under 12 should be vaxxed. So you can't take kids out to a restaurant now? Um, super you bird dog says just tell you identify as vax yeah absolutely you can identify as anything else why can't you identify as vax super you evil's advocate they're expecting the businesses to do the dirty work yeah yeah I, I wonder if they'll enforce it that'll be quite something super you anti-liberal many talks boycott any business that demands your private info well but what if there's only two or three airlines in a country and they all do it? How are you going to travel? You don't, just don't travel anymore? What if um, it's a university, the university your kid got accepted into, and he can't go there without a jab? What if it's your apartment? So how do you boycott your own apartment if your landlord says it? Um, there was a joke there about... Uh, identifying as vaxxed. I want to show you just a little clip. Well, there's my phone. I forgot to turn it off. Let me show you a little clip from um, the Olympics. You know, Laurel Hubbard, born as a man, now identifies as a woman, uh, enters the weightlifting 
uh, contest at the Olympics um, in the women's category. He's a failed male weightlifter. If you look at him, it looks ridiculously out of shape. But he represented the quasi-communist uh, country of New Zealand. Um, it's wonderful that he got crushed. Just total loser, totally flamed out. He was never a true athlete. Uh, he was just a, a political project. Um, and the winners had their moment in the sun. The winners were on, they were on the podium and then they were at a press conference and they were asked about their own success, but some loser in the media. So you got the winners there but someone in the media wanted to talk about this loser, Laurel Hubbard. Why would you ask the winners about some joke mascot loser? Well, because you're a journalist and that's what you do. Take a look at the grace and dignity of these women instead. Take a look. It was a historic night here uh, with Laurel Hubbard competing as the first openly transgender in a uh, in a uh, individual event, and I was wondering, you know, what you felt about that, and what you felt that, that it took place in in your sport. No, thank you. Exactly. No, thank you. You fool. You discourteous, impolite politically motivated hack stealing their glory on their glorious day no thank you boy i wouldn't have that politeness would you um i want to i want to let's look at the clock it's 12 49 uh, there's one more thing i want to mention um I've, I've received probably 20 emails today um about a video on Rumble uh, featuring an Albertan named Patrick King. Uh, do you have that video handy? Do you want me to send you a link to it? Yeah, that's one. Do you want to play? Uh, the headline is Freedom Fighter Court Victory Ends Masking Shots Quarantine in Alberta. And uh, I've, I've probably had 10 or 20 people email me today and I watched this whole video and I did a little bit of looking into it. So I want to play, why don't we play one minute of this and then I'll give some thoughts uh, on it afterwards just because people are asking me. So this might be an easy way to answer rather than writing back to 20 individual people. Take a look. Canada that the Daily Mail will not touch. None of the mainstream media is going to touch this. These propagandists are going to hide this from you because this is encouraging to freedom fighters, patriots who want to take matters into their own hands and stand up against this tyrannical, overreaching system of mandates that forces you to muzzle yourself with an ineffective face diaper, uh, socially distance away from your family, stop giving hugs, not visiting grandma, masking up your kids in school for 10 hours a day, possibly while you're exercising. It's all ridiculous. But breaking out of Alberta today, mandatory masking is coming to an end. Kids will not be masking when they return to school. Mandatory quarantine will be ending contract, uh, contact tracing, testing for mild symptoms. It's all done. They will now be recognizing COVID 
as a mild flu and treating it as such. Freedom has won in Alberta, proving that fighting does work. Joining us now is Patrick King, a devoted father of two, a proud Canadian. You were fined 1200 bucks for violating the COVID-19 Public Health Act for being in a group larger than 10, which I'm assuming is what lit the fire inside of you. And it appears that you, sir, were a part of the efforts that we can now celebrate today. Tell us about it. Uh, yeah, for sure. Thanks for having me on, Stu. Um, yeah, on December 5th, we held a rally. So in Red Deer, Alberta, Canada, we have been known as the only city in Canada to hold the longest rally against all these government mandates that they've been putting in um, with regards to even our industries. Uh, I started back about four years ago. Um, I'm an oil and gas worker, have been for over 17 years. I also hold a degree in occupational health and safety and environment. And when they started to attack our industry out here, I started getting a little bit more vocal. So we've held rallies on our streets with, the, with regards to oil and gas and these, this government that we have for over three and a half years. And on December 5th, we were celebrating our, um, our 200th week of being on the corner on a Saturday morning protesting. And on that particular day, COVID um, mandates were implemented and, and, and they were going on for the last little while. And I was obviously targeted because of my voice. And I know this and it's in the transcripts in the court. Um, I was targeted and, and I received a ticket of $1,200. So I waited for my time in court. I ended up getting it on May the 4th, finally. And I went into court and I produced some information that I needed to request in order to put up a good plausible defense. And my, my, my material that I requested was the isolation of the SARS-CoV-2 virus. And I wanted it isolated and not in a, in a, in a lab setting or in a PCR test, because we know the PCR tests, they're overspun. We know we're not stupid people. Right. We know, we research, we look. Yes. So in doing that, they kind of shut me out of the court. I was supposed to be in court on May the 18th. All of a sudden I get, once I deliver all of this and I get told as a self-representative, I can, the, the judge has to advocate for me and steer me in the right direction. At which time she allowed me to subpoena Dina Hinshaw, who is our chief medical officer of health for Alberta, who basically what my defense was to be was I needed proof that you have isolated the SARS-CoV-2 virus and that therefore the science would give you the backing for your public health act. Which in plain and simple terms means prove to me that a pandemic exists. Prove to me that we're all going to die. Prove to me that this thing is raging out of control and that people are dying from this thing. 100%. And if they did that, then I would be no problem. I would say, okay, you're right. You've got this. I'll put this mask on. Well, as soon as I subpoenaed her, I got a, I got an officer shows up at my door three days later. He says, Mr. All right. It, the video, if I recall, is like something like 15 minutes long. So I don't want to play all of it, but just to give you a flavor of it. Um, so Stu Peters is the name uh, of the uh, host. I think he's American. I've, I've actually never... Uh, heard of him before, and um, sorry, I just want to, and Patrick King, sorry about that, is the name of the uh, Albertan, and I watched the whole thing. I was curious if he was one of our 2,000-plus Fight the Fines clients, and he was not. In fact, in that video, you just heard him say he's self-represented. Um, and a lot of people, like I'm, like literally as I'm sitting here, I just got an email, I'll just like, Two, five minutes ago, Carol Usher just wrote to me and said, if you truly are a rebel news agency, you need to cover groundbreaking court case involving Patrick King in Alberta. This is why Alberta had to suddenly open up. 
It's been on the Stu Peter Show, but haven't seen anything local yet. If you cover it first in Alberta, it will bring in more subscribers and continue to boost your profile and credibility. Um, and I've, like I've received a, a you know, here's um, John Greger says, is there any truth at all in this article about some guy named Patrick King? Um, P. Stachniak says, please interview this gent that kicked Hinshaw's arse. Um, so I'm actually getting quite a few emails about it, and you can see why. Kent Sutley said, good morning. I'm not sure that you've seen this yet. It is biggest news story in the last 18 months, and I don't see it on your site. Please check the link below. Please put this news on your site. The whole country needs to know about this. The mainstream media will do everything to suppress it. Maybe you could contact Patrick and do your own interview with him. Thank you. Best regards, Kent from Red Deer. Another one. I found this quite interesting. Can Rebel interview this gentleman as well? Amanda just sent me the link. Um, Stephen, are you covering this? Red Deer guy takes on Alberta government and wins. So you know what? Oh, here's another one. Ron. And masking shots. So a lot of people watch this with great interest. And let me say a few things. First of all, uh, I don't know Patrick King. Second of all, he's not a client of our Fight the Fines project where we represent more than 2,000 people who have tickets like his. Third of all, I have not read all the court proceedings um, or the pleadings. In that video there, there's a brief moment where they show on screen a screenshot from one of them. And I don't know if you can find that, Justin, um, but Patrick King says he subpoenaed Dina Hinshaw, who's the public health officer of Alberta. Um, and he talks, yeah, can you pump that up a little bit bigger? So this looks um, like it's the government's reply to him. Can you scroll up a little bit here? So um, on, that's fine. Yeah, so we're just grabbing this from the, yeah, so we don't have the whole document, but Mr. King obtained a subpoena for Dina Hinshaw to give evidence in the provincial court and serve the subpoena on July 15th. The subpoena requires Hinshaw to attend a trial. The subpoena was issued by a justice of the peace under the criminal code. It requires her to bring all white papers describing COVID uh, in human beings directly, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, the Justice of the Peace did not have jurisdiction to issue the subpoena under Section 34 of the Evidence Act. It should be quashed on this basis. Um, and then this is what Patrick King says is very important. The Chief Medical Officer of Health, Dina Hinshaw, has no material evidence. Mr. King has no evidence showing that the evidence sought from the Chief Medical Officer is likely to be material to the provincial court proceeding contrary to those sections of criminal code. Um, and we'll look up those in a second, sections 698 and 699. As such, the Justice of the Peace did not have jurisdiction to issue the subpoena, and it should be quashed on this basis. So this is obviously uh, the government responding to his subpoena. Mr. King explained the reason for the subpoena in the document he attached as Schedule A um, to the subpoena. It is clear that Mr. King seeks evidence relating to the rationale for orders issued by the medical officer under the act. He seeks evidence about the 
crafting of the statutes. So that's all we see there. I'm just going to quickly look up Criminal Code 698. The reason I'm, I'm saying this is, um, okay, that's compelling the attendance of witnesses. So let me say this. I don't know what Patrick King was charged with. It sounds like he was charged with being at an illegal gathering. Sounds like he got a subpoena for Dina Hinshaw, the public health uh, officer, um, to show up with her documents about it, uh, about the virus. And it looks like the government applied to quash that subpoena, that is to have it thrown out. And from listening to the video, it sounds like they were successful. Um, and he, do you keep that up just for one more second? So this again is taken from the video. It looks like Patrick King is putting great importance on this statement from the Attorney General. The Chief Medical Officer has no material evidence. So um, let me explain as a former lawyer what this means. Patrick King says that this means that Dina Hinshaw, the CMOH, Chief Medical Officer of Health, has no evidence about the virus. But I don't think that's what is written here. I think this means that the government's position is that Dina Hinshaw, the Chief Medical Officer of Health, has no material evidence to the proceedings in provincial court. So, thanks, Justin. So, I, I think that Patrick King is misunderstanding that. I think when he subpoenaed Dina Hinshaw to come and talk about his provincial court case, whatever that was for, the government's saying, well, she has no evidence relevant to this hearing. And it sounds like the government was successful. I don't know. I haven't seen um, what the charges are. I haven't seen the legal documents back and forth. Um, uh, if you're charged under a law, and you're saying, well, this law isn't valid because we're not in, as Patrick King, I think, argued, we're not in a real pandemic or there's no real basis to fear this virus. I think that was his argument. Um, if you're challenging the statute itself, that may be a constitutional challenge. I'm not sure. It's, a, it's procedurally, it can be different than just finding a charge. So let's say you're charged with assault and you say... I don't think assault should even be a crime. I want to challenge the person who issued the order, who wrote the law, prove that assault's a crime. And that gets struck down um, because it may be irrelevant to, because the law may be valid and it may be um, being implemented and applied by the courts. So it sounds like Patrick King tried to challenge the basis for the law didn't get very far. It sounds like there was a procedural reason for that. And then it sounds like the case against him was dropped. I think that's what happened. Now, again, I haven't seen the underlying documents other than only that which was shown. Um, so let me say this. That American host, Stu Peters, I've never heard him before, but he sounds pretty lively. Can you, can you put... Um, his uh, that that rumble page back up there for a second. I want to look at the headline that he put. So uh, he says, "Freedom fighter court victory ends masking shots quarantine in Alberta." 
So keep that up there for a second. Here's what I think based on what I've read and watched. I think that Patrick King, as you heard him say, was a self-represented client. So he didn't have a lawyer. So he was sort of doing some homemade law and he was challenging everything in sight. And, and it sounds like he may have used an, in, an improper subpoena in that it had the wrong judge issuing it. Sounds like it was a technical mistake he made. So it sounds like he went in there by himself, fighting like hell, pushing every button he could. It sounds like there was a technical flaw with his subpoena. And it sounds like, if we believe him, that the $1,200 ticket against him was dropped. I believe that that happened. I think that happened. But that headline on there goes further, doesn't it? Ends masking shots quarantine in Alberta things. Now, I know that didn't happen. There is no court order, there is no court ruling in Alberta that struck down testing, masking, quarantining in that province. It just didn't happen that way. They may be uh, happened within weeks of each other, but the headline on that American story, and I'm not even blaming the American, I think he was just very enthusiastic. Stu Peters, he was very enthusiastic. Sounds like he denies that there's even a, a COVID virus. I think it's pretty clear there is a virus called COVID-19. I think the debate is, um, where did it come from? Was it natural or man-made? Did it come from the lab in Wuhan? I think there's debates about how dangerous it is, including the different demographic groups. Is it dangerous to people under age 60? Is it dangerous to healthy people? Um, we see stories, including in the Globe and Mail, of how in Quebec, they basically used it as, can you, can you do that? Can you go to the Globe and Mail and, and uh, look at the words, uh, Quebec uh, morphine COVID? Those are the, there's a big story in the Globe that didn't get enough coverage that um, these long-term care workers in Quebec said, yeah, uh, basically when COVID came, we just, instead of treating people, we just put them on morphine and euthanized them. So there's debates about that stuff. Was it used as an excuse to euthanize seniors? Um, yeah, Quebec nursing home often gave morphine rather than treat COVID-19 patients, inquest told. Can you pump it up a little bit? I'll just read a sentence or two. This is an incredible story. As the pandemic struck a Quebec nursing home last year, officials made it harder to send ailing residents to hospital and repeatedly provided morphine rather than treat those with breathing problems, according to inquest heard Wednesday. A nurse testified that the St. Dorothy long-term facility consistently administered morphine instead of attempting to prolong the life of elderly residents who were believed to have COVID-19. They didn't all die, but most did, Sylvia Moran said. Ms. Moran was an assistant chief nurse at St. Dorothy, an LTC home north of Montreal, where more than 100 residents died during the first wave of the pandemic last year. They made us put them all on the respiratory distress protocol, she testified. She was alluding to a medical assessment tool where morphine, the sedative Ativan and scopolamine, an anti-nausea drug, are administered if a resident's breathing troubles meet a number of criteria. It was like they have respiratory distress. Okay, we put them on the protocol, which leads to death, asked Patrick Martin-Menard, lawyer for the family. Yes. She later clarified, it's not what kills a person, it makes them more comfortable but with COVID, it was going so fast. I'd never seen deaths happen so quickly. 
The person had symptoms, we tested, we got the results 24, 48 hours later. A day later, they were dead, it wasn't long. Thanks very much. So to me, that's a blockbuster story. It, it, it's my earlier thesis that Quebec is the most pro-euthanasia jurisdiction in North America, which is why Quebec had double the rate of COVID deaths of anywhere else. You just read there, 100 in this facility alone. Quebec has a quarter of the population. It has half the deaths in this country. Back to the point. Stu Peters is an American who um, has some skeptical views about the virus. He goes further than I do. I believe the virus exists. Um, I don't believe the virus is as deadly as young people or healthy people as the mainstream narrative. Um, but put that aside, Stu Peters' headline was false. Whatever happened to Patrick King, if he got out of his ticket by basically homemade lawyering, I would say good for him. I wouldn't recommend it to others because it's very easy to get it wrong. And by the way, we give free lawyers to anyone who wants it at fightthefines.com, but it sounds like they dropped the $1,200 ticket against him if he's telling the truth. It sounds like he subpoenaed Dina Hinshaw, but that was quashed by the, by the government. Or maybe they just abandoned the ticket against him saying we don't need to fight this guy. But let me say to all the people who have emailed me and anyone who's watching now, Patrick King did not stop the quarantines and the testing and the track and trace and all that stuff in Alberta because it was not the result of a court hearing. There is no court ruling in Alberta stopping those things. And I think the, impl the implied headline there was that because this freedom fighter fought like hell and stuck it to Dina Hinshaw, they changed the law in Alberta. That did not happen. They, it sounds like, and I'm only going by the video and the document in it, sounds like they dropped a ticket against him, and I'm glad they did. I don't know Patrick King at all. But the headline put on that story by Stu Peters clearly implies that that court case is what lifted the lockdowns in Alberta. That is not true. There is no court ruling in Alberta that lifted those lockdowns. I wish there was. I wish there was a court or a judge in Alberta who would have said you're going too far to the government. There's no pandemic exception to the Constitution. You have not justified this infringement on our rights, whether it would be based on assessing the actual crisis and how dangerous it was or, or any other basis. So let me conclude this rather long detour by saying, I'm glad that someone who was charged with a lockdown fine got it dropped. And I, I take him in his word that that happened. It sounds like he tried some homemade law to subpoena the Chief Medical Officer of Health. It sounded like after a brief success with the Justice of Peace, sounds like it was overturned or abandoned uh, for jurisdictional reasons. I think he's uh, misunderstanding the Chief Medical Officer's comment that I have no evidence relating to the charge. He's misunderstanding that of saying I have no evidence relating to COVID. I think he's blurring the two. But that's not important. What's important is for you to know there is no court ruling in Alberta or anywhere else in Canada 
that has struck down the quarantine, track and trace lockdowns. I wish there were. And as you may know, we are financing litigation to try and get those struck down in Saskatchewan against the COVID jails. We're looking at others. I wish it were true. It's not true. The lockdown was lifted in Alberta for political reasons. And I have no doubt that fighting against the government helped put pr political pressure on them. And a lot of people fought back and I, I would say we're lead among them. But that is my lengthy reply to the 20 people who emailed me about this video. All right, I have time for two more Super Chats and then I'm done. Uh, Jake Lunin says, I was just wondering if David Menzies could do a short video on legally declining your vote or could someone clip out what he said about on the Tuesday last third live? I'm shocked with how, so, how many people I've talked to about it had no idea they could do it. All right, I didn't see that, so I'm, I'm not exactly sure what you mean, but I, I'll, um, I'll check and see what that means. You can send David a, an email directly at david at rebelnews.com. I think that's his uh, public-facing email. And Fraser says, it's been proven the World Health Organization and the Centers for Disease Control have never had a sample of COVID-19. Many top U.S. universities have asked them for COVID-19 sample. The CDC and the World Health Organization said they never had any samples. Your governments have been lying to you, so have the legacy news and fake news, it turns out. I don't know the truth of that. I don't know what China has or hasn't shared. Um, I would believe you if you said that they didn't have a sample of the virus from China. But surely they have samples of the virus from people in North America who have caught it. I don't purport to be an expert on the subject. And that's something that Stu Peters talked about on the show there. I'm not going to try and get into that debate. My point for spending 20 minutes on that was to say, look, um, homemade lawyering did not free Alberta from the lockdown. There's no court ruling that broke the back of the lockdowns. I wish there were. And I think that Patrick King misunderstood the government's representations on the subpoena. I don't know. I spent a lot of time on it, but maybe that's easier than, uh, than writing back to everybody in general. My friends, it's 1.14 p.m. Do we have a dog video today? Indeed we do. I'll say goodbye to you now, and I'll leave you with a dog video curated by Justin. See you later. <laughs>